0: Welcome aboard the Diecast Enterprise. This is Pags. And Fully. And this week we are watching Code of Honor. And uh, <laughs> You might wanna skip it. You could just skip this episode of Next Gen and I guess this podcast. Don't skip this podcast. No. Let's face facts. We're basically reviewing the episodes one by one and We're starting with season one
1: because we have the awesome Blu-rays of season one. So now we're totally spoiled and can't watch anything else. This
0: episode is pretty Pretty, bad. (laughs) It's kind of racist and kind of... Poorly written. And we were talking about this earlier. I get the impression that this episode was one of those instances of trying so hard not to be racist that it ended up being. I don't know. That ended up being racist. Let's make a whole planet that's just all black people, because that will be empowering. But then let's take this really skewed view of African tribal culture and. No. I don't know what they were thinking. Neither do I. This is not a well-remembered episode amongst the cast. The cast is not happy with their involvement. Worf isn't in this episode. There's no Worf. The Ligonians do
1: more or less dress like characters from Disney's Aladdin and pioneering in their use of parachute
0: pants. This episode predates the heyday of MC Hammer by a couple years. This is true, and one could totally see this episode being like a huge influence on the young MC Maybe. Hammer, not young MC, who's a totally different That's MC. That's a different guy. But a young MC Hammer probably saw this episode and was like, damn. The casting crew, are fine pants. while they were filming this episode, might have been listening to a young MC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably not but possible. You don't know. His one hit bust a move. Anyway. So this episode, it's really contrived. They create all of these scenarios that don't flow naturally. They just, we need to do this in this scene. So this is how it's going to work out. It doesn't really feel like it should have gone that way. Like At the beginning of the episode, the Ligonians offer a sample of the vaccine. Yeah, you're you're
1: forgetting like this is a planet that, while maybe not as technologically sophisticated as those planets of the Federation, they have a priceless vaccine for a disease which many people in the Federation are suffering from.
0: Apparently. Like, this is what we're told. That's why we're here, is to get the vaccine. So they come up to the ship and it's like, here's a sample of the vaccine, and before Captain Picard can say anything, Tasha Yar just strides right up there. It's like, sorry, I have to check this out for reasons and things, because I have to do a kung fu move. God knows that our transporter is incapable of detecting weapons, but we know that it is, in fact, capable of doing all of those things, but for this episode, for right now, so that Tasha Yar can and show that she's a strong, powerful, independent woman who don't need no man in front of the Lagonians. They have to um, make it so she needs to check this box to make sure there's nothing concealed in it. I think they just wanted her to do a
1: kung fu move.
0: That's the whole point. They wanted her to do a kung fu move. There was no real reason for her to do the kung fu move, so they created this no, it, contrived reason so she could do the kung fu
1: move. Yeah, the leader of the Lagonians had to be suitably impressed. What's his name? Uh, Lutan. Lutan. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, so Lutan, yeah, I guess he's
0: got an eye for uh, Natasha Yar. For Tasha. Or pardon me, Natasha Yar. As she's as, credited in this episode? As uh, Picard name Cern this episode. What happens is that, we just jump ahead a little here. Yeah. Listen, it, we don't need to give a blow-by-blow no, replay of these episodes. No one wants to hear that. Uh, exactly. You watch the episode if you want to know exactly what happens. We're Ta- just yeah. talking
1: now. Tasha gets kidnapped. They get onto the planet to try to get her back. They have to observe the customs and traditions of the Lagonians
0: like, in order to uh, show respect. So, amok time, like they have a uh, battle to the death, cheat death, the tan looks dumb, the end. I guess. And vaccine for all. Y- yeah. Ugh. Lutan's really good at that splayed finger thing. Like, yeah, let's talk
1: about the stuff that matters in this episode. Yeah. Let's talk about hand gestures.
0: <laughs> you know, Lutan spends the majority of the episode... Like, he's got his fingertips pressed against each other, Mr. Burns style. We're both doing it right now. We're both doing it right now, so you can see. He really likes gesturing with his hands
1: in a way that... He's Again, got a
0: really deep, booming voice, too. Like this uh, guy would have been an awesome narrator. Like, like the guy like, on the old 7-Up commercials when we were children. Yeah. Although yeah, that's I... that's right. <laughs> although I... I expect the majority of our listeners probably won't remember the old 7-Up commercials. Whatever, they know what 7-Up is. They know what 7-Up is, but they probably don't. You you want to hear it pitched to you by a guy who sounds like Luton, I'm telling you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One thing that
1: the HD is really revealing that I never noticed before was that at least the gold uniforms are a little bit
0: sparkly. Like, Tasha's has a sparkle to it. Yeah, like this kind of glimmer or sheen. Yeah, and and I think it's just the yellow uniforms. I didn't notice it in the red ones. What I find especially noticeable in the HD... Uh, which I certainly didn't notice nearly as much in standard definition is that the zippers go up the front of these uniforms. Oh yeah. The seam where the zipper is is very noticeable in HD. Uh, the other thing we were talking about with yeah, this episode. Yeah the pot redhead yes. Season one has and actually throughout next gen there is a uh, particular actress who shows up as an extra in the backgrounds all over next all gen all over the place. And she's quite noticeable because she has rather striking red hair Wait. and is often wearing the, the short skirt uniform. Yeah. She's you know. wearing a yellow short skirt in this one. Yeah.
1: So she's basically the, if you want to play like Star Trek, where's Waldo? She basically is the Waldo TNG.
0: So the Star Trek wiki, Memory Alpha, names her Diana Giddings and she's just all over the place and apparently like they've built up this entire timeline yeah. for her. She gets demoted at some point to just a crewman. So you can see her in the opening episode
1: where Tasha takes Lutan into the holodeck yeah, she's in the background for, like, like for half a second. Like a second. second uh, yeah. You see her in the in and the background of in the scene prior to where they're in the conference room yeah, she you walks see them through the background too. Out. but
0: yeah like she Apparently shows up security I guess in this episode at, at this, she seems to have basically every
1: job on the ship at one point or another but she's in the yellow yeah. I think throughout this season
0: once you notice her it's impossible not to see her in the background not unlike the overexcited redhead at the end of Ghostbusters she just sticks out and once you know she's there it's impossible not to notice so when you're on your
1: fifth straight season one episode you can keep yourself sane by looking for her in the background what else do we want to talk about uh, you always want to talk about replicators all right yeah we'll talk about replicators well let me tell you this episode doesn't really give us much on replicators but it does feature a scene in the holodeck Tasha basically gives
0: us a taekwondo demonstration uh, where she fights a computer opponent and wears a gi over her uniform which that's got to be hot it looks really bulky and it does not look like it would be I think you'd be sweating like a pig after like two minutes of yeah taekwondo. And it doesn't look like it, it it looks like it would restrict her movements too yeah well the point of all this is of course course is we actually want to talk
1: about replicators I don't know a lot of people consider the holodeck to be kind of where it's at in terms of sci-fi fantasy or like the real point of imagination yeah, Star, Trek for the Star Trek technology the, if, the if you want to
0: talk about impressive Star Trek technology holodecks yeah. are the thing yeah
1: the writers certainly seem to go that way you know they later on we get the holographic doctor and all that stuff and all sorts of stuff is based off holograms and holo technology but let's face facts the replicator is way more interesting in my opinion that's real stuff it makes real things
0: yeah that you can carry around with you and eat yeah you can get free food out of it and maybe that's the first I think one of the major important factors of the replicator is that it is clearly the technology that ended hunger.
1: Yeah, and again like what is it exactly that's limiting what the replicator can do? I mean, this episode in point. This episode begins with these guys giving a sample of this vaccine to the Enterprise crew in order to I guess verify that it works or whatever. Yeah. Well, at that point don't they have the chemical composition of it? Why can't they replicate it at that point? Why do they need to go through this whole
0: Well, because they thing? tell us that they can't replicate it for reasons. Which are what exactly? They can replicate other stuff. Like, what's the difference between this and pizza? I guess what we need to know is specifically how the replicator works. Apparently, something about this uh, vaccine just doesn't lend itself to replication. Pish posh. That makes no sense. For the purposes of this episode, the replicator is incapable of replicating the vaccine. Alright,
1: yeah. Sorry, I fell into, I guess, the trap I didn't want to fall into, which is like, yeah, the replicator can't do it because the that would spoil the plot and that is true for like half of the episodes of Star Trek but what I did want to talk about was I guess I don't know the more mundane things like let's talk about like serving sizes <laughs> you know when the captain asks for a tea or an Earl Grey tea he just says tea Earl Grey and then it comes out in a cup not a, a bucket cup. not a vat it gives him one serving there must be like a factory default serving size for all these different foods someone's programmed in but if you don't want that let's say you're really thirsty do you ask for two teas or can you just ask
0: for a bigger tea or how I'm do sure. you... you could probably ask for A larger tea. And there's probably, like, the computer would probably, you know, specify size or specify volume. Right. It's still a machine, right? And it's going to follow your instructions. So if you give it, like, an unintentionally ambiguous
1: request, like, give me a really, really big tea, is it going to give you, like, I don't know, like a liter of tea? Or is it going to give you, like, you know, an oil drum full of tea?
0: I imagine that it probably has factory settings that limit sizes so that you can ask for something really large, but it won't go past a certain threshold. Whoa, you without... think there's like a
1: safety limit or something? That it yeah, won't,
0: like... I, I do think there's a safety limit. You can't
1: say, like, give me 50,000 liters of tea, because that would just flood your quarters and you'd drown in tea?
0: Yeah, yeah. And plus, it's the replicated material is not coming from nowhere. Energy has right. to be converted into matter, and therefore 50,000 gallons of tea is probably going to... That would be selfish. Yeah.
1: The rest of the crew would go wanting.
0: Well, yeah, and, like, I just I mean the energy reserves of the Enterprise, like, replicating that much tea is probably... You right. Know, right. Okay. Power intensive.
1: But again, like the, it seems like your requests are really only limited by our imagination. Okay, maybe there is some energy restriction. But okay, a large volume of something is ridiculous. But the vessel that it comes in, you know, I'm sure again it has some standard pre-programmed thing. But what if I wanted a, you know, what if I wanted a coke, but I wanted it in, I don't know, a piece of a piece of glass shaped like a goose? An ornamental glass ornamental goose. Ornamental glass goose, exactly. With a straw obviously coming out of the goose's mouth. So it looks like you're kissing the goose. It looks like the goose is smoking, and then I'm going to like suck on the cigarette yeah, I see.
0: and why can't the computer do that it well, clearly it can. It can why not but, uh, is that something that you have to program into the computer yourself or is the computer capable of dealing with the engineering issues involved in that like is the computer capable of designing a goose a, a glass goose on its own or is it going to ask you to provide the uh, necessary programming
1: computer run Riker replicator program goose one <laughs> and I would just give you a goose pre-filled with coke maybe you want like how much do you want. The other thing too is like it seems to default to a vessel size where like it's basically full you know like the teacup that he gets is full of tea but what if like maybe for some reason he wants a tea served sort of like a shot it's in a big glass but it's only filled it comes
0: up like a part of the way. Yeah. Can you specify that too? I'm sure you could. that seems reasonable. Totally. I mean obviously the show doesn't spend a lot of time on uh, the ins and outs of replicator use because no. it's you know just as a, a modern sitcom wouldn't spend a lot of time on the ins and outs of how one uses a microwave or whatever. It's just assumed that the people involved are familiar with the technology, know its limitations, constraints, and abilities, and use it accordingly. <laughs> Boring. Boring, I know. I guess that yeah, you know, I guess it doesn't make for good television, but Yeah. The Replicator is an interesting piece of technology, and when you free your mind, it, yeah. <laughs> it could be the source of a lot of humor. Why not? They mention the Prime Directive a couple of times in this episode. Oh, man. And I wanted to specifically touch on that because the prime directive in the star trek universe like we all know what the prime directive is that we're not going to interfere with planets or cultures or civilizations that are you know technologically inferior or oh, what have you but the threshold is not quite set in stone like it's a little ambiguous here they're talking about oh the um, they've stolen tasha yar and they won't give her back They won't take her back by force because that would be interfering with their culture because the kidnapping was a cultural thing, a cultural thing but i don't know to me that's not interfering per se because it's not like this culture is unaware of the federation or other space traveling species they're aware they've just kind of kept to themselves because you know their level of technology is such that you know they maybe they just want to who knows but for whatever reason they've kept to themselves but they're aware they know they're out there they aren't looking at starfleet like oh sky gods with their magic yeah yeah with their magic fire wands no it's not like that if the Enterprise took Tasha Yar back. They wouldn't be, I think, yeah, screwing with their culture. They just, I think, in this case, it's almost like what they really should
1: have said in this episode is they don't want to just kidnap Tasha Yar back because that might lead to. They need the vaccine. They, well, no, yeah, they need the vaccine, but also like that might be treated as an act of war, I mm-hmm. suppose. And they may should have just said that instead yeah. of. I think we're like three episodes into TNG, and they had yet, and they had yet to mention the Prime Directive, so they wanted to get it in there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah, they're gonna be like many more episodes where they hum and haw about the Prime Directive and And sometimes it feels like it fits and sometimes it doesn't like in this particular instance I don't think the Prime Directive applies this isn't a backward culture or you know some primitive culture that doesn't understand space travel they have fucking matter transporters they are doing okay
1: like a lot of the time the real Prime Directive in Star Trek is like a scenario that could be solved in 30 seconds will actually get extended out to 30 minutes because we need to do that for the episode
0: yeah the Directive is there specifically to, to facilitate drama. Yeah, totally. More than anything else. Entertainment. Um, yeah. So. Oh, hey, let's talk about Wesley and his sweater game because it's totally on point in this episode.
1: Wesley's two outfits, I believe, in this yeah. episode. Uh, oh.
0: One of them is a throwback to Farpoint Station. He's wearing the same brown sweater that he wore in Farpoint, but this time paired yeah. with a rather uh, dashing uh, trouser with a single stripe down one side. And loafer. Oh, yes, the loafer. The single stripe
1: pant, I think, though, is. It's so impressive, the captain wow. and everyone on there is so impressed by that outfit that they yeah. ask him to man the con later in this episode. So
0: yeah, purely because of his outfit, I'm sure. And earlier in the episode, he's wearing that green sweater with the roping on it, which is oh, that's okay. what that's what he wears and, when
1: he actually goes onto the bridge. Yeah,
0: an early favorite. He wears both on the bridge actually. The, the first time oh. they bring him onto the bridge, he's wearing that green one, and then the second time, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have it backwards. art. Right, sorry. Okay. He went back to get changed when he found out he yeah, came yeah. onto the other bridge on this one. I guess it's unclear that like it's,
1: he seems to be coming back and forth to the bridge in this episode. He just goes as he pleases on the ship. Is there nobody
0: over... What is his... Mo- Where the hell is his mother during all this? Like, <laughs> is he supposed to be in school or something? I don't know how it works. But school in Next Gen is weird, too. Like, every time we see kids in school, it's always, like, this weird range of ages. Yeah, and they all-, all over the place. Like, we're and- sitting
1: in a class with, like, seven-year-olds, exactly. and he's supposed to be, you know...
0: And they're, uh, they're all being taught as if they're in kindergarten, too. I'm watching these kids, and they're all receiving the same lesson, and it's all being taught in like a nursery school kind of way. It's 24th century
1: Montessori. Like you you just learn at your own pace and you learn, you know, you study around the thing. So like Wesley, like everybody
0: else is basically learning arithmetic and Wesley's just over studying thermodynamics or whatever. (laughs) We should talk a little about uh, Tasha Yar, because she's the focus of this episode. Oh, yeah. So, Lutan kidnaps Tasha Yar, because apparently this is in his culture, you know. What an, you do. An honorable thing to do, by kidnapping her, he proves himself to be brave and bold and daring, yep. I guess. And when the captain goes down to see Tasha on the planet, they holler out in front of him, and the guy that brings her out is, like, all roughed up, and, like, his eye appears oh, to... Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Like, Tasha basically seems to have gouged his eye out. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a horrible-looking injury. I... Yeah, she is. She has roughed him up something fierce. His eye—it doesn't look so much like he has an eye as it looks like he has like a second mouth that's holding an eyeball. Yeah, it's gnarly. I the, don't know—is that like, makeup or is that? I don't, just, I don't know. Maybe that dude just has looks a, like has that? really scary eyelids that I look like know. lips for whatever reason. Dude's got a messed up eye, and we're to understand that Tasha Yar did that because she's not taking their shit.
1: Yeah. So a lot of the action takes place on down on the planet takes place in the ceremony old center place they call it uh, yeah all the, so a lot of the crowds assembled there has essentially like thunder sticks from uh, any like sporting event these days it's yeah, and and the, kind of clapping them together, them together. Um, of cool. what
0: I find interesting is they really didn't uh, like in other episodes they go out of their way to try to make the backgrounds look like they're on a planet or something but in this one oh, it's yeah. all basically just silhouettes against a kind of rose red background like a, a, a dusky hue rose yeah. background so we get the silhouettes of what are are essentially potted plants in the background against I what I assume we're supposed to imagine is the sky I think so yeah it's but we see other long shots like matte paintings which show the city to be considerably different than the skyline we're getting from well, the center place here
1: I think we're supposed to be up on the hill though like that building mm. is supposed to be raised above the city so
0: I don't know I mean like regardless it does not look like they are outside they this, clearly look like they're inside
1: <laughs> <laughs> well this episode like in a lot of ways feels really really again like feels really really original series like again from the musical stuff
0: the musical cues and then the music in this episode is
1: and obviously the like the overall plot line and the feel of it all yeah it's
0: we didn't know better and unfortunately we do know better we would have assumed that this was an original series episode that had never been filmed so they just updated it to a lot
1: about it feels very very 60s in a lot of ways and not just the campiness of the content like the look and feel of it too and right down to the single color backgrounds and the set pieces the
0: music is the thing that really tips it over for original series feel like this music could literally have been lifted from an episode of the original series and we wouldn't have been able to tell the difference like it's yep. everything about the music screams original series and maybe that's exactly what they were going for this early in next gen like they sure, were yeah. at this point like they hadn't really found their own voice so they're trying to do what the original series did and what better way to do that than by copying all the tropes of the original series like the yeah. overly dramatic music and the uh, the big musical stings and dramatic builds that happen before every uh, commercial break or what have you. Okay okay I know what I want to talk
1: about. Fire it up. So, okay, like we didn't even mention now, like basically what happens is Tashi Yar gets challenged to a fight to the death by uh, Lutan's first one, his current mate, his lady. Yeah, yeah. They're going to fight over Lutan, I guess, in a really weird kind of jungle a, gym thing. It's like jungle gym meets 80s aerobics with. Neon weird, lights, yeah, that neon are lights. Deadly. It's really weird. These really awkward-looking weapons. They're kind of cool. They're like a hand-based, like a spiky ball thing that you wear in your hand, and it's dipped in poison. And man, if you like, and we see it like it flies off one of their hands at one point, and then the person that it hits in the crowd dies because poison. They die immediately. So these things are really like almost immediately
0: because he doesn't realize he's been killed until he looks down and sees oh, that right. he's been pricked, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And then he dies. Yeah, he kind of
1: does a wily coyote kind of thing there. Whoa.
0: Yeah. So I okay we. We learn that a fight to the death like
1: this hasn't happened on their planet. This is a rare like event. Like Two hundred years. Yeah, it's tradition and it doesn't happen very often. But when it does, oh boy, pretty exciting. So like, I want to know. We don't know a lot about this culture, but like, this
0: would be big news, right? This is like the ruler of the planet. This would be like the first lady having a battle to the death. Yeah, with uh, with a another with, suitor. Like, like, this would be big news, right? We don't get any
1: insight into this, but like, is there like worldwide coverage going on? Is there is there media on this planet? Pay per view, like, perhaps. Yeah, like why not? Why is there no like coverage of this at all? Like, like, would there be gambling on this event? I'm assuming. Would you bet on it? I'm
0: sure there's gambling, whether sanctioned or not. Of course. Yeah. Uh, definitely. But yeah, the uh, it's not really impressive once the it actually starts. It's just kind of awkward. And
1: if nothing else, they could have sold so many more Thundersticks. <laughs> People would have been all over this event. I wanted to see
0: real uproar. From I it, but, was surprised you know. at how unfazed most of the audience were when the guy in their midst got killed by the... Uh, <laughs> I know. They didn't even seem impressed. Like, like oh like one woman put her hand to her mouth like oh my goodness and that was it that was, that was the, about it that was the most dramatic reaction we got to this guy dying in the crowd you know it was like oh innocent spectator killed whatevs
1: they were pretty unfazed but maybe again these weapons are poisoned like maybe there's a lot of poison going on in this culture like they just needlessly poison things just to keep people on their toes mm-hmm. Well, I wonder like door what, handles and whatnot. I wonder you know? what
0: their sporting events on that planet are like they're all like, lethal yeah, <laughs> all lethal <laughs> everything's dangerous yeah that would be interesting Interesting uh, death sport being a standard yeah, thing. Yeah. They play soccer, but the ball has razor blades inserted into it, which are also covered in poison. <laughs> i don't know sounds awful you could see it having like it seems reasonable like i mean it wasn't so very very long ago in human history that we had gladiatorial combat and stuff oh yeah but i mean like i'm just saying like so they they just never moved past the gladiatorial framework no it's not that i'm just saying like i'm
1: just surprised that there wasn't more like we didn't get any impression that there were people outside of the immediate vicinity mm -hmm. paying attention to this event i guess they can only afford so many extras (sighs) i know I can't think of a single episode of TNG where the concept of TV or television comes
0: up. Like, they do mention it in an upcoming episode when we get those three frozen people from the 20th century. Oh, well, it's like they're saying, oh, but in the 24th century, we move beyond the need for television. Yeah, yeah. But
1: I'm talking about other cultures. Like, we're mm,
0: out there oh, in space.
1: Like, why are none of the other planets or societies they meet, none of them seem to have a media even. And that, that's
0: an interesting gap in what goes on. Like, I think they're, they never address it, but they're clearly be? Yeah, you would think so. Like you, you know, Romulan soap operas, or you know, even just news coverage.
1: Yeah, current events. That's ne- that really never Klingon gets addressed. on CNN. Klingon CNN would be amazing. Yeah, Warf Blitzer. <laughs> Or whoever, I don't know. I would love to watch a Klingon debate show.
0: The Ogyron factor. A Klingon debate show would be awesome. they just just kill each other at the end. It'd be great. Totally. Klingons, speaking of, since Worf isn't in this episode, what an apt time to bring up Klingons. This is one of the only two episodes that he's not in, according to the uh, Uh, Memory
1: memory alpha page we looked at.
0: Because we're prepared for these talks. That's not true. No, it's not true at all. We wing it. Klingons in the original series were not terribly well developed. Klingons in the original series were basically the bad guys they're and the, the Russians. Yeah, basically, and that was they're supposed it.
1: to be the Soviets. You know,
0: like they didn't have wrinkly foreheads. They didn't really look like aliens. They had little, you know, mock Fu Manchu mustaches. Or do I have that wrong? Wait, were the were they supposed to be the Russians? Or were they were they supposed to be the Soviets? Or were they supposed to be the, the Japanese? I don't know. I can't remember. Sorry, original <laughs> series fans. But basically, you know, we didn't get a lot of background on the Klingons back then you know none of this honor warrior race stuff that kind of that's why I'm confused yeah yeah, that came about with the motion picture and built from there and then next gen picked that ball up and kind of ran with it and I wanted to talk about this because I've brought it up with you before but now let's bring it up in front of the listener or two that we have I feel that you've never watched Star Trek you can admit it is that what you wanted to say I'm gonna smack you okay go ahead I feel now that they've developed the Klingons as this uh, warrior race that's honor bound, like honor is their big thing. Yeah. That the Klingons wouldn't use cloaking technology. Oh, this? Okay. Hey, shut up. <laughs> Listen, if you can talk about making glass gooses filled with Coca-Cola from a replicator, you can give me you was... know, a couple of minutes of honest talk about... That was the shortest 15 minutes of your life. Bye. <laughs> go ahead (laughs) I am just saying that based on the Klingon culture as it's presented to us in the films and in next gen that I don't think that Klingon culture would embrace cloaking technology you think it's cowardly yeah I would think that they would look on it as dishonorable and to sneak up on your enemy right exactly like they're all about meeting your enemy head on in battle like a Klingon would never stab you in the back no but I think you're right and Um, also they're hated enemies the romulans use cloaking devices and i would imagine well i think that's part of the reason they
1: have them right
0: getting away from the idea of it being of you being invisible like using invisibility as a weapon
1: just think about it as an arms race so at some point like you could make the same argument that if the klingons were going up against an opponent that uh let's say they didn't have any guns so like they just have swords at some point someone on the klingon homeworld invented a gun would it have been dishonorable for that person to use the gun in battle when the opponents didn't have it in a way maybe but like the alternative is that their opponent then developed a gun too yeah. now both parties have it yeah so you're on an equal footing
0: i think the difference between like a weapon like a gun versus well, a the st- weapon is stealth with a yeah with a, with a cloaking device exactly is the fact that you can't see your opponent your opponent can't see you you can't can we that, this is what i was never really been sure about like is the
1: ship actually invisible like if the enterprise had a window like forget the view screen which is based on sensors but it actually just had a physical window could did you see the cloaked ship out there?
0: I believe not. My understanding. It like bends visible light as well exactly. as. Exactly. And which is why. It's energy signature Which is or why when you're looking at it through the view screen, the view screen, I'm assuming, is using cameras. I, uh, I don't I have, know? I have always assumed I don't think that. I so. It's, it's using
1: scanners, obviously.
0: It, that seems way overcomplicated. They never Generating it. the image from scanner data. That seems way too complicated when they could just stick a fucking camera on the outer hull. It's not explained. I am am going on the assumption that the view screen is being fed a feed from a camera.
1: Well, I think maybe just for you, for your trouble in this, the writers of Star Trek have always maintained that you can't fire your weapons while cloaked. Yeah. So the Klingons, I always kind of think of it as like they can sneak up to get near you, but then they have to confront you in order to fight you. So I never really considered, for me anyway, that doesn't seem like, I don't think Klingons would be upset by this notion. They might think it's a bit dishonorable to, again, what I was talking about before, like attacking a clearly like technologically inferior, Race, maybe they would consider that dishonorable, unless they don't consider them. Well, to remember be on the, same the, level. the the like,
0: Klingons when they make a uh, treaty with the Federation. Yeah. Part of that is that the Federation agrees not to develop cloaking technology. Yeah, yeah, because they want an ace in the
1: hole. Yeah. If they ever have to fight them. They don't want to give up a uh, advantage. But then
0: by that, just like they don't share the secret of their forehead technology. <laughs> By that uh, same logic, if they're saying, oh, it's okay for us to use cloaking technology because it puts us on equal footing with the Romulans who also have cloaking technology, yeah. I would suggest then that Klingons wouldn't be able to use their cloaking technology against the Federation because the Federation doesn't have cloaking technology and therefore it doesn't put them on. Well, I don't know. In the same way, it's a weapon in an arsenal of weapons. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: you know, if, if they come in and they've got, like, I don't know, if the fight was between a, a clan. On with a bow and arrow and another, and an opponent who had a spear. They're different weapons but maybe they consider them equally yeah. powerful. I, I don't know. To
0: me I'm of the opinion that Klingons would look at the uh, cloaking shield as being an inherently cowardly weapon that they would not lower themselves to use. Well, no.
1: Uh... Maybe there's some people on the diverse and large Klingon homeworld that would agree with you, but clearly the, the prevailing feeling of the Klingon
0: military is fuck yeah, cloaking shields. Yeah. I'm just saying. I know, I know. This is my feeling on it. And like, if I were in charge of reimagining Star Trek or JJ Abrams is doing that now, like, if I had one input for JJ Abrams' take on Trek and where they're going with it, no cloaking for Klingons. Cloaking is a Romulan thing. Maybe this is hotly
1: contested on the Canon Crossfire Klingon debate series TV show. Canon, <laughs> CNN,
0: K&N? I don't K&N. know. Chronos News Network. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I I get your point. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, is there anything else you want to say about Code of Honor? Code of Honor, worst episode ever. I
0: no, I, I don't know if I I don't, I don't know if it's the worst. It's, it's ext- hard to say. Like it's pretty. <laughs> I, I naked you know, now is worse. <laughs> you know what? I'll I'll go ahead and call Code of Honor worst episode so far. Oh, that's bold. I still think some of the episodes in Season 7 are more unwatchable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when we get there, that's why I'm saying so far. We have watched three episodes, and thus far, Code of Honor is the episode that I most want to forget happened. (laughs) And thankfully, Code of Honor doesn't really have any bearing on the larger Star Trek universe at all. Nothing that happened in this episode is going to come up again later. There are no continuity points here. You can, without any problem, drop Code of Honor from your your viewing list, and it will not impact your Star Trek experience in the least. And in fact, I would say that it would improve your Star Trek experience by its exclusion. Yeah, but who's going to be, you know, for those out there? Hey, by all means, if if you you want to watch watch every episode of Next Gen, please be my guest. We're doing it. I watched these episodes when they first aired, you know, when I was eight years old, and much more forgiving of this shit. The flaws of The Naked Now and Code of Honor did not impress them themselves upon my eight year old brain yeah honestly I didn't remember this I barely remembered this episode until I remembered the <laughs> commercials for this episode like I, I remember the voice coming on next time on Star Trek the next generation with that, I love that prolonged guy. star that he, he was incapable of saying the word star without holding it for like three or four seconds longer than you should but yeah next time on Star Trek the next generation she's, she's so excited to watch Tasha Yar is in a fight for her life blah 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 and
1: yeah he, he might be offended <laughs> On Star Trek.
0: Yeah, I know we were looking at the uh, Memory Alpha. Jonathan Frakes has condemned this episode. LeVar Burton has agreed with uh, Garrett Wong. Garrett Wang! Garrett Wang, pardon me. Oh, um, it's
1: Wong, I don't know.
0: <laughs> W-A-N-G, I don't know how it's pronounced. Harry Kim. Harry Kim. Ensign Harry Kim said that this was the worst episode of Star Trek, and Lavar agreed with him. <laughs>
1: Harry Quinn's exact quote was this is the worst episode of Star Trek ever and I would know because I was on Voyager so that means a lot coming from me that was not the quote
0: at all but I stand behind Foley's words on this because Voyager is awful Yeah, and I had a conversation with Foley right before this podcast in which I floated the idea of potentially no car- carrying on this podcast no! into uh, DS9 and then Voyager and we've both pretty much agreed that we don't ever want to have to watch every episode of Voyager, because oh. Voyager is intensely awful. Maybe we should just pick a really, really bad one and try to watch it. Oh, well, let's watch the one with Kurtwood Smith. No! <laughs> with his time shift. That's not nearly the worst one. No, but it's pretty bad. Uh, Voyager did fuck up the Borg, and oh. granted, you know, I can't really blame Voyager. They were dealing with what First Contact did to the Borg by adding a Borg queen, and they just ran with it when what they should have done is after the death of the Borg Queen in First Contact, forget about that entire idea. Just the way First Contact forgot about what Season 6 of Next Gen did to the Borg when Lore found them. Oh man. You know,
1: you know we're going on the Season 1 kick. If we could really get sick of this, we could just mix it up with a
0: movie review in there? We could, uh, just throw in First actually Contact um, what I want to do with you sometime I have a really excellent riff track for Star Trek The Motionless Picture. It's the only way I I can watch the first star trek movie anymore nice but if you're up for it we should do that either tonight let's do it all right well kids it looks like Foley and i are about to subject ourselves to star trek the pardon me star trek the motionless picture oh man join us next week for an episode i don't remember the name of yes all right and we're out